Watchtower Society had all but guaranteed that the world would come to an end in 1975. We thought Armageddon was coming in 1975. I put all my hopes in it. I wanted to have children. Sold our home and built a kingdom hall, and there we intended to live out those few remaining years. They're knocking at your door. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Christian author and speaker Pat Zugarin. Today, we examine the cults. What is a cult? Why are they growing in number? How do you answer their false versions of Scripture and the nature of God? Be ready to take notes as we'll hear Dr. Zuccarin before a live audience teaching on this crucial topic. And when you get a chance, check out the multitude of resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's books, articles, and past shows are available on that very informative website. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is at your fingertips to equip and educate you concerning life's great questions. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. Now let's go to Pat before a live audience as he teaches on the character of the cults. As we study the cults, one thing you will learn throughout the Bible and for the rest of your life, that false teaching has always been a threat to God's church and God's people. So we cannot ignore the danger that the cults present to the body of Christ. The kingdom of the cults represents one of the largest mission fields in the world today. The late Dr. Walter Martin, he estimated that nearly 80% of those who are in the cults come out of Christian church backgrounds. And if you read through the New Testament, much of the New Testament is written as a defense against false teaching. You look at Paul's letters, Galatians, right? He is defending against the Galatian heresy, the Judaizers. First John, he is fighting what appears to be early Gnosticism coming into the church. Second Peter and Jude, that's all apologetics against false teaching. Much of the New Testament is written as an apologetic defense against false teaching. What do we mean by cult? The late Dr. Walter Martin said a, a cult is a group of people gathered around a specific person's misinterpretation of the Bible. Cults, therefore, are groups that claim to be in harmony with Christianity, but deny foundational biblical doctrines. They deviate on the teachings on the nature of God and the nature of Christ and salvation and other key doctrines of the faith. And Jesus gave stern warning, and so did the apostles, that there would be false teachings and false prophets that would arise. And you look throughout the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about there are false teachers coming around preaching another Jesus. So even in Paul's day, much like ours today, the false teachers were preaching a different kind of Jesus, contrary to what the New Testament taught. Peter gives us a warning here, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter says, but there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Where will many of these false teachers come from? They're going to be arising from inside the church, inside the body of Christ. And they're going to masquerade and parade like true believers. Peter says here, there'll be false teachers, what? Amongst you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They're not going to come and say, hey, I'm a cult. I'm bringing false teaching. It's going to come in a very nice package. Paul said, Satan comes as what? An angel of light. And will they be successful? Yeah, verse 2. Many will follow their shameful ways. So they will be successful in gathering a following. 
Now, one of the things about cults is they claim to be in harmony with Christianity, but they deny many of the essential truths of the Christian faith. You know, no matter what denomination or where in the world we are from, there are some very basic essential truths that we all agree upon. The doctrine of the Trinity, okay, the nature of God. There is one God revealed in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Cults twist that or they outright reject that teaching. We all agree on the divine nature of Christ, that Christ was 100% man, 100% God. Cults will take that and twist it or outright reject one of those natures. The authority and inspiration of the Bible, salvation by grace through faith. Cults have a works-oriented doctrine. The death of Christ for sin, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ was a bodily resurrection. The body that was on the cross is what was raised from the grave in glory. Eternal judgment on the individual, that one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and there we will receive the judgment and our eternal destiny, whether away from God for eternity, in a place the Bible calls hell, or in the very presence of God in heaven, and the return of Christ, the literal return of Christ. So those are some of the essentials of Christianity upon which we all build and which we agree. Now, the cults, although they claim to be the true Christian church, deny many of these fundamentals, especially the first four. The nature of God, the Trinity, the nature of Christ, the authority and inspiration of the Bible, and salvation by grace through faith. Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, describes for us the nature of the false teachers, or those who are, will be the leaders in the kingdom of the cults. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So he's describing here the nature of the false teachers. Wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to come looking like what? The sheep. They'll talk like Christians. They'll sound like Christians. They'll use a lot of Christian terminology. But he says, inside the true nature they are false teachers, okay? ravenous wolves, or ferocious wolves, as our Lord Jesus Christ describes them. And he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He's not only talking about their evangelism and the size that they're going to attain. He also means by their teaching. If you look in the context of Matthew chapter 7, a tree and its fruit, their fruit is also their teaching. The fruits of their teaching, you will be able to recognize them. Now, let's begin with the dead giveaway. First, the false view of God, which separates the people of God from the kingdom of the cults. It's a doctrine of the Trinity. All the cults deny the doctrine of the Trinity. What's the doctrine of the Trinity? There's one God. The Bible makes that clear there's only one God. But he's revealed in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're equal in nature, substance, and power. It's very important to get that's foundational here because this is where the cults all deviate. One God revealed in three persons. One God, they're one in nature. The Great Commission, go in the name of, name, singular, in the name of singular, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay, an article before each one. So three distinct persons, but one name. Okay, so one in nature, three in person. One what, three who's. As many of you know, the Jehovah Witnesses, right? They deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Here in their landmark uh, work, Should You Believe in the Trinity? It says here, there is no evidence that any sacred writer even suspected the existence of the Trinity within the Godhead. So the Jehovah Witnesses clearly deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Mormonism. When you speak to Mormons, they say they believe in the Trinity, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
But when they talk about Trinity, they're talking about a whole different kind of Trinity. Here in their theological work, Mormon Doctrine, it says, Three separate personages, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, comprise the Godhead. As each of these persons is a God, it is evident from this standpoint alone that a plurality of gods exists. So not just one God, there are three gods here. To us speaking in a proper finite sense, these three are the only gods we worship. So the Trinity in Mormonism is really a tritheism. There are three gods that they worship. But in addition, there is an infinite number of holy personages drawn from worlds without number who have passed on to exaltation and are thus gods. So within the universe, there is an infinite number of men who have received exaltation and they have become gods. There's millions of them all over the universe. But on this planet, we only worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these three. Three gods. Christianity teaches what one God built in three persons. Mormonism says their trinity is three gods among the many gods who are out there. Uh, the fifth president, Lorenzo Snow of the Mormon Church, says, As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may become. So all men in the Mormon Church, if they live a good life according to the rules of Mormonism, go through the temple ceremony, serve on the mission field, are in good standing with the church, may one day attain exaltation to godhood. All right, so there's a false view of God, a, a rejection of the doctrine, or perversion of the doctrine of the Trinity. Second, Cults have a false view of Jesus. The Bible teaches Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. And cults deny this very doctrine. Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jesus Christ is a created being. He's the first thing that God created and then through Christ created all things. They have twisted the translation of the Bible. Many verses have been twisted and perverted. John 1.1. In Mormonism, Jesus was man's spiritual brother but became God, equal to the Father after his death, ascension, and exaltation. So Mormonism teaches that before he came to this earth, we were all spirit children with God on another planet, literal spirit children born to God the Father, Elohim, and one of his many, many wives. And they are procreating spirit children to populate this planet. And Christ was the oldest and firstborn son, and so they refer to him as our elder brother. So Jesus was a spirit child with the rest of us, and through his good life, he attained exaltation. And by following his example, Mormon men may one day attain exaltation, godhood, as Christ did, and as the Father did. Gospel principles, this is the uh, textbook of Mormonism. If you join the Mormon church, uh, this is the book that you'll go through. It says here, every person who was ever born on earth was our spirit brother or sister in heaven. The first spirit born to our heavenly parents was Jesus Christ. In Mormonism, Jesus is a spirit child. He's not eternal. Jesus has a beginning. He's the oldest son of God the Father Elohim and one of his many wives. Christian science. Christian science teaches that Christ is the divine idea. That once you attain this enlightened stage, then you too can become like Jesus Christ, the Christ idea. The Unification Church. Jesus was a man, but without original sin, and he attained deity. But he was not God himself. His body was stolen by Satan and will return to Korea. And many believe he appeared as Reverend Moon. All right, so there you go. A false view of God, false view of Jesus. And they have a works-oriented gospel, okay? a false gospel. The Bible teaches that we are all sinners, 
and that the judgment for sin is eternal separation from God and there's nothing we can do to earn good standing before God. All we can do is receive the gift that he has given us through grace, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. However, the cults twist that and all the cults have a works-oriented kind of gospel. So in Christianity, the death of Christ is central in our lives. And that's where salvation comes. In the cults, it is not central. The death of Christ gives you the potential. After that, everything is about the organization. Salvation is found in the organization, working and abiding by the laws and teachings of the organization. As in the Jehovah Witnesses, salvation comes from obeying and serving the organization. Christ's death gives you that potential to be saved, but now the rest centers on your relationship and you're serving the organization. So now the organization becomes central in your life. One of the good things that has come out of the kingdom of the cults is that it causes us to really study our Bible. Uh, they'll take the scriptures and they'll twist it. It's not very hard, if you know your Bible, to refute false teachings of the cults of the Jehovah Witnesses. But the overwhelming number of Christians I talk to really don't know their Bible. You know, So if a Jehovah Witness comes along and throws three or four scriptures at them, you know, they're done, they're finished. According to Jehovah Witnesses, most people will enjoy everlasting life on earth. Only 144,000 will be in heaven. The rest will enjoy paradise here on earth. Christ will return with his army and destroy all the kingdoms of this earth. And all the loyal Jehovah Witnesses who are in good standing will survive Armageddon and they will enjoy paradise here upon this earth. And the rest of us will be wiped out in the battle of Armageddon. Or if we do survive, we will be cleaning up the mess that remains and the Jehovah Witnesses will be teaching us their doctrine. All right, Mormonism. Christ's blood allows for the universal resurrection of all people. So all people will be resurrected unto life, except for the really, really bad ones. Hey, I mean, like Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini. Other than that, I mean, you gotta be really bad not to be resurrected uh, to eternal life. However, in Mormonism, there's three levels of heaven. Eternal life is only for those in the Mormon church and whose marriage was sealed in a temple ceremony. So it is the outstanding Mormons who will attain the top level of heaven, celestial glory. Well, they will attain godhood or exaltation. And those of us in the other two levels will be serving them on whatever planet that they inherit. Mormon doctrine, the theological work of the Mormon church, by believing in the truths of salvation, Repenting of his sins and being baptized in water and spirit, the seeker after salvation places himself on the straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life. Thereafter, his progress upward is achieved by the performance of good works. You get that? So the death of Christ allows you entrance to begin the process, but the rest is centered on obedience to the organization. Salvation in Christian science. Jesus demonstrated how to live a sinless existence. One sacrifice is insufficient to pay the debt of sin. The way to escape the misery of sin is to cease sinning. And remember what Paul warned in Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. That's a very strong condemnation. Why? The wrong gospel, false gospel, cannot bring everlasting life. So a false view of God, a false view of Jesus, a works-oriented gospel, extra-biblical revelation. Okay? So denial of the sole authority of the Bible. As Christians, we believe that the Bible, in all that it teaches, that this book alone is the unique, inspired, inerrant Word of God. 
the authority on all matters of doctrine and Christian living. The Apostle Paul writes here in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this alone is the unique authoritative word of God. Whatever we learn, the truths that we learn, must be measured against the Word of God here, the Bible. Now, in the kingdom of the cults, they will acknowledge this as an authority, but they also believe that they have other inspired works from their founders or their leaders that present extra revelation. In the kingdom of the cults, their other works, although they say is equal to the Bible, actually, the way they treat it, supersede the teachings of the Bible. Because if there is a contradiction between the Bible and their works, and there usually is, their works take authority over the Bible. So though they may come out and say, such as Mormons, well, our works here, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, are consistent with the Bible and are equal in authority with the Bible. In reality, they supersede the authority of the Bible. Or they will twist the Bible to try and match what their works are saying. In fact, uh, in Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they teach, as we will learn, you cannot understand this Bible apart from their books and their interpretation. A few years ago, in Dallas, there's a group, they're called the Sex Cult, the Children of God, and they don't believe in marriage. And so they have, you know, what's called open community kind of living, where they'll live together and that night you can sleep with, you know, whoever you want, you know, and next day you can choose your next person. And that's the kind of living that they had, the Children of God. And the way they recruit followers is called fishy flirting, so that the young girls will go out and just be like prostitutes and recruit young men, and that's how they get people to join their communal kind of living. So we were there at their camp, and they were giving us a tour of their facility and all the awards they had won for good works from the government, from the United States government, all the awards they had, and saying, we're, we're great folks, we're Christians, just like you. We agree in everything you teach. You know, just on this issue of marriage, uh, we disagree. Finally, we sat down, and I said, well, you know, Genesis clearly teaches. One man, one woman in marriage, Christ reinforces that. One man, one woman. So I said, where do you find this particular teaching of yours? And uh, they said, well, here in what's called the Moe Letters, the founder of their group is called Father David Moe, and he wrote what's called the Moe Letters. And whatever he wrote in the Moe Letters is what they believe and what they practice. And I said, all right, if the Moe Letters contradict the Bible, then which one has authority? And they said, well, they're equal in Revelation. And I said, well, does the Bible or the Moe Letters have authority? And they said, well, they don't contradict. I said, well, on this point, and I talked about fishy flirting and these other things, I said, uh, it directly contradicts the Bible here. And the leader looked at me and said, well, we don't think it contradicts because this, and they were really beginning to twist the scriptures. And I said, no, no, you're twisting the understanding of, of biblical marriage here. It's clearly one man, one woman. And they began to twist, and I finally said, you know what, really, the Bible is not your authority. It's the Moe letters that's really your authority. You may say they're equal in nature or that the Bible is superior, but in reality, it's your writings that you hold as authority. And same thing in Mormonism. If you find a teaching in their works that contradicts the Bible, usually they'll say, well, the Bible has been corrupted. Or somehow they'll try to twist the biblical teaching to match theirs. So, extra-biblical revelation. Denial of the sole authority of the Bible. So these are the doctrinal characteristics of the cults. Then we have sociological distinctives of the cults. And the first one is authoritarianism. Authoritarianism. The leader or the organization is equal in authority to God. They are the spokesman for God. Right? So understand it. So disobeying the organization or the leader 
is equivalent to disobeying God. All right, you get that? Now, as Christians, what do we say? Whatever the church teaches, whatever the pastor may teach, whatever your Bible college professor may teach, whatever Jerry teaches, what are you supposed to do? You measure it with the Word of God. But the cults will say what? That their leadership represents, or they are the spokesman of God. So questioning them, disagreeing with them is equivalent to disobeying God. The Watchtower of the Jehovah Witnesses teaches, it's not the Watchtower, Bible and Tract Society, the one and only channel which the Lord has used in dispensing His truth continually since the beginning of the harvest period. They claim that they are the true spokesmen of God here. Jehovah's organization has a visible part on earth which represents the Lord and is under His direct supervision. And what the organization teaches is not to be questioned. In fact, the uh, authority in the cults goes further than just matters of doctrine and, and Christian living. It, it goes into the area of the daily decisions that you make. In the International Church of Christ, I did my master's uh, thesis on this group, the International Church of Christ. So they're different from the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ booted them out, but they kept that name, Church of Christ. The International Church of Christ, you know, to question any of the leaders in there is equal to questioning God. You are told to submit and follow loyally and not to question. And they will dictate your daily activity. You're to come to Bible study five to seven nights a week. The church will tell you who you can and cannot date and how often and when. The church will tell you where you're going to live. We have had incidences where students were in the last year of medical or dental school and the church said quit, go to Los Angeles and help plant the church. They had to go. So a lot of them quit medical school, dental school, whatever college they were in, they went. If the church tells you this is how much you better tithe, a lot of people didn't have money to tithe. And the church said, well, put it on your credit card. Second, they have an elitist mentality. And most cults believe that they are the true church. They are the only ones really who are serving God or are truly saved. And most cults believe that they have new revelation or new insights that gives them superior standing than other churches or that other churches have fallen into some kind of false teaching or apostasy. Isolationism. The church tries to control their followers. This is a manipulation tactic. Keep them isolated from family or friends who may give them information that contradicts the teachings of this particular organization. Those who, for example, in the, the International Church of Christ, you know, students were told not to talk to Christians who may disagree with their church's teachings, not to talk to them at all. Even if they're your parents, don't talk to them. And so we had several parents coming to me saying, my child is not coming home for Christmas on the weekends. Thanksgiving, the church has told them not to talk to us. They don't answer our phone calls or anything. And I said, yes, because you oppose the teachings of the church. And you want to bring up biblical passages. You want them to think, uh, to question the leadership. And they want to isolate them from those kinds of people. That's why it's also very hard for those in the cults to leave. Because right? they've been isolated. And if they leave, where are their friends? Well, they're all in the organization. There's a dependence there. When they leave, they have nobody. The control of information. They discourage followers from reading or interacting with anyone who may be critical of their particular movement. They will quickly label those people Satan or the devil. And use of pressure, especially guilt, is used to bring you into conformity with the standards of the church. Not the standards of Christ, 
but the standards of the church. Especially if you start questioning the church or start asking questions they don't like. They'll use this tactic of guilt and pressure on you. In the Jehovah Witnesses or in the International Church of Christ, I mean, if you're asking questions, they'll call you in to their council. And you need to go into a dark room and in a semicircle, sit in a chair before their elders as they question and rebuke you. And you're there all alone. It's, it's a scary thing. Harsh discipline. Harsh discipline is used to bring you into conformity. They're closed-minded and discourage individual thinking. They want you to be in full conformity with their teachings, unquestioning loyal obedience. Very legalistic lifestyle. You have to live up to the standards of the organization in order to maintain good standing with the organization, which means good standing with God. And finally, a very difficult exit process. For all former members who leave, part of the harsh discipline is that they're shunned by all those in the cults. Those in the group are told not to talk to that person who leaves. If you choose to leave, you leave behind the people who are your friends and family, your entire support network. You leave them and you. You are all alone. Many who call me, call me from all over the country, and they're saying, I don't know where I can go. I have no one. I haven't seen my parents in years. I haven't talked to them in years. Everyone I know is in the organization. What do I do? Where do I go? My job was connected with the organization. Oh my God, there's a strong dependence that they have built into the lives of their followers. So, one thing you're going to learn is when you're sharing with those in the kingdom of the cults, don't expect them on your doorstep to go, oh, you're right. You know what? I'm going to leave the Jehovah Witnesses. It takes years for that to happen. So don't get discouraged if you don't see any progress right away. Cults work for grace, not from grace. Okay? We work because we are saved. They work in order to be saved. Okay? Aggressive proselytizing. Jehovah Witnesses, those in the International Church of Christ, and others have to fill out timesheets. How many people they witness to and turn that in. If they're low on their quota, you know, they, re they may receive discipline. Jehovah Witnesses, they are the best trained of all the cults. If you can witness to Jehovah Witnesses, you can pretty much witness to anyone in the kingdom of the cults. So we cannot ignore the danger that the cults present to the body of Christ. Thanks, Pat, and we appreciate you being with us today. By the way, there are two parts to this program, so be sure that you listen to both, and they're available for download at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. If you think a show like Evidence and Answers should be on the air, a show that explores today's worldviews and gives reasons for faith in Christ, then help us keep it happening. Whenever you download or order our resources, you not only equip yourself, but you help provide us a way to rock the culture with some good news. 